Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. There is a very ancient teaching of the Jews dating back centuries that connects our Old Testament reading from Jonah with the account of the liberation of the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt. And the account, as written down in the Jewish Midrash, goes like this. An Egyptian stands at the edge of the sea, watching his countrymen drown in its waters. He grieves for the dead firstborn, including in his own family. And he hears the Israelites singing, Who is like you among the gods, eternal God? And this Egyptian, nurtured even though he was in the culture of idolatry, responds to the Israelites with a whisper, Who is like you, awesome in holiness? You see, the man now fully, deeply understands that the God of Israel is God, like no other. And he shakes his head in awe and walks not back home into Egypt, but out into the desert. He walks far, far to the east, and finally arrives at Nineveh, massive, full of wickedness, torture, and violence. And he tells the Ninevites about the God of Israel who punished his wicked land. He warns them that their wickedness will lead to their ruin in the end. And while they aren't entirely convinced by his theological message, they are impressed by his obviously very regal bearing, and they make him their king. One day, a Hebrew prophet enters Nineveh and calls out as he walks through the city, three more days and Nineveh is destroyed. Of course, you know the name of the prophet. It's Jonah. The king would never forget that other Israelite messenger, Moses, who predicted Egypt's ruin. So he understands Jonah's threat as genuine. And he commands the Ninevites to repent. They do and are saved. Who was this Egyptian, according to Jewish Midrash, who stood by the sea and whispered, who is like you, acknowledging the God of Israel to be the one true God? According to the teaching, the Egyptian was none other than Pharaoh. The Pharaoh got a do-over. The Pharaoh got a second chance. Then there's the story of the young indigenous man whose life seemed to be headed off a cliff, until it wasn't. He had a driving while under the influence charge, given that he had been driving erratically down a road through the city, hitting guardrails and other objects along the way. And then later on, a charge of assault against a girlfriend whom he was alleged to have pushed across a room, again while in a drunken state. Later on, a third arrest for punching a taxi driver in the nose after insulting him and his race, allegedly, in a drive across his city. That same man, Wab Kinu, is now premier of Manitoba. And in a speech given the night after his party's victory, Mr. Kinu said this, I want to speak to the young out there. I was given a second chance in life. And I'd like to think I've made good on that opportunity. And you can do the same. My life became immeasurably better when I stopped making excuses and I started looking for purpose. 
What does Jesus mean when he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand? Repent and believe the gospel. He is saying nothing less than today is a new day. Today is a new start. Today is the day for second chances. Everything else that came before today does not matter. In fact, it can be drowned and die in the waters in which John was doing his baptism, and you can be someone new. The word repent sounds like such a harsh word because of how it has been used in our culture. But the underlying Greek word, metanoia, simply means change your mind. The kinds of thoughts that you have had up to this point, reverse them, 180 them, think in a brand new way. That's what repent means. Believe, the word pistis in Greek, it's a really, really strong word outside of scripture. Belief is such a weak word in our culture, but to have pistis in Greek culture meant to put your full trust and confidence in something. It was something that you could put all the chips down on, put all your money down on, and trust that it was going to work out. And the word gospel, that meant something very specific 2,000 years ago because there was only one gospel that people knew about, whether it was in Palestine or Asia Minor, Rome or North Africa. And it was the gospel of Caesar Augustus. The good news that Augustus had finally brought peace to the world, just not to people's hearts. You and I have been told to put all of our money, all of our chips down on us, on our abilities and our decisions, on our talents, only to find that that doesn't always get us through, does it? I remember attending the wedding of a cousin of mine, same age as me, And having a pastor preach a sermon that never mentioned God, but did promise my cousin and his wife that their unquenchable love for each other would see them through to the end of life. Later on, the pastor and I were sitting down and he asked me what I thought of the sermon because he knew I was in seminary. And I said, what happens when their love gets quenched? He knew where I was going. He said, well, you know, you know your cousin. He didn't want me to talk about God. Your talents, your abilities, even your unquenchable love for your spouse, girlfriend, family is not going to be enough to see you through. Your leaders will not be enough to see you through. Caesar wasn't enough that he be called Caesar, emperor. He was also the august emperor, the great emperor, and not enough to be Caesar Augustus. He was also proclaimed to be the son of God. To say Caesar is Lord was the greatest patriotic statement that you could make. The worst thing in the world you could say was somebody else was in fact Lord. And the fact that somebody else, a Jewish man who died on a cross, would have a gospel better than Caesar's, is unthinkable. But if you put all your chips down on your leaders, they too will let you down. They too will fail because they are only human. Scripture says so. Put not your trust in princes or in their horses or their chariots. And certainly don't put all your chips down on the world. The gospel of Rome, the gospel of our present age. The world will disappoint you consistently 
Who knows what the news headlines are going to bring tomorrow, but I can tell you there will be something in there that will profoundly disappoint. The gospel of the world is no gospel at all. Certainly for the majority of people in the world who are suffering, they're not exactly seeing the good news. So what does it mean when Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel of God? Change your mind away from putting your trust on you and your leaders in your world and put it instead in the God who delivered the slaves out of Egypt, the God who brought Nineveh to repentance, the God who calls fishermen to go out and become fishers of men, the God who calls you today, right now, and says this is a time for second chances. Everything today is new. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, this is great news, as long as it's for me and not for them. You know that, right? There have to be people out there that don't deserve a second chance. There have to be people who are going to get what should be coming to them. Surely God is not telling them that they can repent and believe the gospel. At least that's what Jonah thought. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. Why? Well, he says as much in Jonah chapter 4. When Nineveh did repent, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And now you've gone and forgiven Nineveh. Fooey on you. Take my life and let me be. That's really the point of Jonah, by the way. Yes, he is swallowed by a great fish. But you miss the point if you don't get to the very end where after all of this work that it takes God to bring Jonah to Nineveh, and this whole city of evil repents, all the prophet of God can say is, I knew you were going to give them a second chance. I knew you were going to let them repent. And God says, and why shouldn't I? Because that's what I do. I am the God of second chances. Jonah's sin was in believing the truth about God that he abounds in steadfast love and mercy. He relents of evil. He is slow to anger. He is gracious and merciful. Nobody can out-mercy God, especially the God who redeems us in Christ Jesus. Because in Jesus, every day is a new day. One last story. It's a story kind of sermon. From the Hammer of God, for those of you who haven't read it yet. It's a story of a parish, Lutheran parish in Sweden, three different time periods. And in the middle time period, there is a revival that is going on in Sweden. There's a certain group of Christians and pastors who are fed up with business as usual. People that just come to church and they get their sins forgiven and then they just go out and live in the world and they don't change anything. Christians should be changing the world and setting the world on fire for Christ. So this one pastor and his fellow Christians give their hearts to Jesus, unlike his superior pastor, 
and the rest of the people in the parish. So this young pastor comes to the senior pastor and finally has it out with him. He says, how can you even call yourself a believer if you haven't given your heart to Jesus? And the older man's face became suddenly as solemn as the grave, writes Bo Geertz. Do you consider your heart something to give God? Now, by this time, the young pastor was almost in tears. But, sir, if you do not give your heart to Jesus, you cannot be saved. You're right, my boy, he said. And it's just as true that if you think you're saved because you give Jesus your heart, you will not be saved. You see, my boy, he continued reassuringly as he continued to look at the young pastor's face in which uncertainty and resentment, kind of like Jonah, were shown in a struggle for the upper hand. It's one thing to choose Jesus as one's Lord and Savior, to give him one's heart and commit oneself to him, and that he now accepts one into his little flock. It is a very different thing to believe in him as redeemer of sinners, of whom one is chief. One does not choose a redeemer for oneself, you understand, the pastor goes on to say, nor give one's heart to him. The heart is a rusty old can on a junk heap, a fine birthday gift indeed. But a wonderful Lord passes by, has mercy on the wretched tin can, sticks his walking stick through it, and rescues it from the junk pile and takes it home with him. That's how it is. And now you must understand, the pastor concluded, that these two ways of believing are like to different religions. They have nothing whatever to do with each other. And yet, he added thoughtfully, one might say that there is a path that leads from the lesser to the greater. First, one believes in repentance, but then one believes in grace. First, one has a change of mind. And then we realize that we did not seek out the Lord's net to go and jump into it. It's the Lord who has scooped us up into his net and brought us home and given to each and every one of us, even today, a second chance, because that's what every day is about in Christ. In his name, amen.